In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Come on in, take your shoes off, and get comfortable. It's Sunday night. You know what that means. It's Bible study night. That's right, right here on Untethered Live, and I'm your host, Jake Johnson. I'll be with you for the evening. Welcome. Come on in. How was your weekend? Hey, Bubby Watts and Lisa Reen. Bubby Watts gets the gold star tonight. He was right on time. Lisa, you're right behind him. Welcome. Hope you guys are having a good time tonight so far. It's going to get better. We're in the great book of Judges, chapter 3, verse 4. That's where we left off last week. That's where we're going to pick up this week, and it's going to be exciting. And I hope you'll love it. So, what's been going on in your world? I had a uh, nice man come by and look at my car, and uh, he promises to be able to fix it. I don't know. That remains to be seen. This is beyond man stuff. This is computer stuff, which is why I'm not fixing it. Uh, something something to do with a some kind of sending unit or something. I'm not familiar with any of that. If it didn't come from the 80s or below, I can't work on it. So He says he can do something about it. Apparently, my car's gone into limp mode, whatever that means. And uh, it's just another way for a uh, car company to get more money out of you, I think. Because there's nothing wrong with the car. It just won't run because it decided not to. Go figure. But while he was here, he showed a very nice act of kindness. He gave me a leather jacket and a nice helmet with all the bells and whistles for my motorcycle and two electric guitars and an amplifier just because he didn't want it anymore. And they're nice guitars. They're playable, giggable, nice guitars. One of them's got P90s on it. I don't have one of those, but I do now. P90s is a pickup, a type of pickup. Here, I'll show you. That's a P90. And that is one of the guitars. Complete with gig bags. Very nice. Bubby Watts says, Jake, did you watch that Rob O'Neill interview? Not yet. I hadn't got to it yet, but I'm working on it. Lisa Reen says, birthday party for my three-year-old grandson today. And I mowed the lawn. Now to relax and listen to the teaching. Let it wash over you. Well, happy birthday, grandson. I hope that uh, he got everything his little heart desired. And... uh I'm hoping to give you everything your little heart desires tonight. Or some of it anyway. Maybe not all of it at once, but I just let it trickle out. 
There's no way out of that statement, is there? I'll just move on. Bubby Watts, I am going to watch that interview. I just haven't got to it yet. Got a lot, a lot of irons in that fire. A lot of irons and only two hands. So take me some time, but I'll get to it. Nope. <laughs> you knew what I meant. We got three people watching. That's good. No worries, says Bobby Watts. I'll talk to you about it on Wednesday, okay? I'll watch it either tonight or tomorrow night. Well, Tuesday night. I forgot tonight, Sunday, not Monday. Got to get back on the schedule of doing Monday night. Hadn't done Monday night in a couple months. It's time to get back to it. Working on it. Tomorrow, I got to go into work and do a little bit of odds and ends. I'm not getting paid for it. I just got to go do it because it didn't get done Friday or uh, Thursday or whatever day it was. I think it was Thursday. Yeah, because Friday, Monday, and Tuesday's off because of the 4th of July. Long weekend. Very long. Hey, Tempe MBTV, what's up, buddy? I had a strange afternoon. I went into coal shed to get bird netting for the cherry tree and had a five-foot bull snake stuck in the bag six feet up the wall. I was going for a baby sparrow's. It was going for a baby sparrow's nest. Oof. Did you kill it? I would have killed it. I have a cat that did some uh, unquestionable things. And now I'm trying to get rid of it. And I've been throwing rocks at it every time it comes in the yard to get fed. I don't think it's getting the message because I saw it again this afternoon. So I, the next step is the old six-shooter. So we'll see what happens there. Lisa Reen says, So when is your sister's boyfriend going to fix your vehicle? Um, It's not my sister's boyfriend. It's just a guy she knows. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have to get some new spark plugs and some gasoline and things like that before he'll start working on it. But we're going to eliminate one thing at a time. First is the spark plugs. Start with spark, and the next thing you find out if it's getting gas, and the next thing you find out, you know, on and on and on, and then you get down to the computer stuff. So, but spark is the most important thing, so we'll fix that first. And we'll just go through it until we hit whatever the problem is, and that'll fix that because there's no way to find out what the problem is. It just doesn't run. It wants to run. It just won't. So, MBTV says, left me with a five-foot bull snake entangled in this giant ball of a net. I had to get him out, and whoo, boy, what a chore. Nah, I got him out of it. I would have killed him, but you're a better man than I am. Bubby Watt says, I'm going to try to watch the new Indiana Jones soon. You're going to hate it. I hope you don't. MVTV says, my cats would decimate the rabbits. Only by 10%? He 
here until they associated it with me yelling and, and firing off a few rounds. Now just the sight of the pistol puts them inside and leaves me alone now. Smart move. So nice of him, says Lizarine. It is very nice of him not to charge me anything for that. It's very nice. And that he gave me two guitars, a helmet, and a leather jacket. And a nice leather jacket, not a piece of junk. It's genuine leather. Matter of fact, it's exactly like the leather jacket that I already own, only it's new. I'll take it. Jake, I've waited seven years for this movie. I'm not going to not watch it because people said it's bad. Hey, I didn't tell you not to watch it. I told you you were going to hate it. But by all means, watch it. I'm going to watch it too. But I already know I'm going to hate it. I've hated everything else they've made in the last 20 years. Might as well hate this one too. That's not true. There's a couple of movies I've enjoyed. Top Gun Maverick was pretty sweet. Star Trek Picard Season 3 was pretty good. Um, Strange New Worlds is teetering on sucking, but it's still watchable. The other one's not watchable. I mean, literally hurt my brain, not watchable. So we'll see. I can't imagine the same people that did The Last Jedi is going to make a good movie involving another franchise, Indiana Jones. I can't imagine that. But whatever. MBTV says, damn, your car ought to break down more often. I know, right? Two guitars, an amplifier, a leather jacket, a helmet with all the bells and whistles. I mean, it raises up in the front. It's a full helmet, but it raises up in the front. and It's got two shields. One of them is uh, tinted, so it's like sunglasses. Vents all over it. Very nice helmet. Andy's going to fix my car. And with the guitars, I got like five sets of strings, a tuner, a couple of those little whirly things that nobody ever uses. These. You know the thing. I don't even know what that's for. I don't care. It's nice of him. And a, and a capo. Nice capo. MVTV says, Strange New Worlds has yet to go to any Strange New Worlds. 1883 was damn good, though. I haven't seen 1883. Is that the one that's like the spinoff of Yellowstone, but it's in reverse? I haven't seen I saw a little Yellowstone, but I, I couldn't get into it. Bubby Watt says, I heard mixed things about the new Indiana Jones, honestly. Yeah, so have I. But there's different people that have different opinions. I love the new Blade Runner movie that came out a couple of years ago. I have mixed feelings about Blade Runner 2049, which is the one you're referring to. It was a good movie, but it was also a series of paintings that really had no plot. It was only good because I saw Blade Runner. So, you know, had it been without Blade Runner, it would not have been a good movie. But it was beautiful, very well done. And they used miniatures in that, very little CGI. Better than the original, if you ask me. Now, hold on there. That's going a step too far. It was not better than the original. Not by a long shot. 
But that also depends on which original you're referring to, because they re-released it like five times with different endings and one with narration, and they couldn't make up their mind. MVTV says, yeah, Yellowstone prequel, but has zero to do with the other series other than the name, far as I can see. Gotcha. Hard to love these remakes when you grew up with all the original classics and has their unique impact. True. Very true, MVTV. Bubba Watt says, yeah, but the first Blade Runner is a series of paintings, too. Yeah, but they were, it was cut together a lot faster. It didn't linger as much as 49 did, 2049. I'm not saying it was without fault. I'm just saying it it was better better edited, I guess you could say. But you're right. It was a series of paintings also. <coughs> I thought the first one was a little boring. Yeah, well, when did you see it? Maybe noir isn't your thing. Especially sci-fi steampunk noir. I do admit the first Blade Runner was pretty confusing to me. A bit disturbing, too. Yes, it was intended to be. You ought to read the book it was based on. Do Electric Sheep Dream, I think is the name of it. By Philip K. Dick. Check it out. It's a short book. It's a small book. But it's very disturbing. The premise is, is when mankind creates artificial intelligence, are they intelligent? Do they dream? Do they have aspirations? It's a pretty good book. Especially written in the 70s. Or 60s, whenever it was written. Do androids dream of electric sheep? That's it. That's the correct title. I knew it was something like that. But I could see why you would think the first Blade Runner was a little con a little boring and possibly confusing because it was slow, but it's a noir. It's supposed to be slow. That's kind of the point. Noir is about the shadows. It's literally what the word means. Noir means black or darkness, however you want to translate it. So it's about the shadow play, not the story that's unfolding in front of you. It's about what's in between the lines. 2001 A Space Odyssey is a classic, but whoa boy was I stunned at the effects, but kept waiting for something to happen then for a bit of howl, then super WTF. Well, let me tell you what. Space Odyssey may be the most boring movie ever, ever printed to film may be the most boring one it's also the most amazing one because that film was shot in 1967 it was released in 69 and it holds up to this day its effects are better than the real thing when you see the reason that you've got all these conspiracy theorists out there saying that space is fake is because it doesn't look as good as 20 uh, uh 2001 space odyssey that's how good that movie is. It's so realistic that it could have actually happened. It just didn't, you know. But everything in it makes perfect sense. Everything in it is perfectly logical, except for the big monolith thing. You forget that. I'm talking about just the visual effects of it. But it is a great movie, but it's also very hard to get through. Try watching it as a, a matter of uh, enjoyment, just Plop it in one day and sit down with some popcorn and see how far you get. You'll be asleep before the third act, I promise. 
<coughs> I think you're right, Jake. It may I may have misunderstood Blade Runner. I like 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah, Bubby Watts. It, it, it's not that you misunderstood it. You may have been too young to appreciate it. Is what I was getting at. Um, it is a steampunk noir. And when you realize what they're trying to say with this movie, it makes it better, right? It's all about the last thing that, that Batty says on the roof about the teardrops in the rain. That's what the whole movie's about, is, is uh, this bad guy, who is a bad guy for all intents and purposes. He's the bad guy. But in the moment where he gets to be the bad guy, he chooses to break the mold and save the guy's life. And the guy that was there to kill him doesn't know what to think about that. And so it changes his perspective on life, and that's what the movie is really about. The rest of it is just window dressing. All right, we got about three more minutes, four more minutes. But that movie, I came prepared to just look at the visuals. Yep, that's what you got to do. You got to take 2001 A Space Odyssey as an experience, not as a movie. Because if you watch it as a movie, you'll be bored to tears. But if it's like a clockwork orange. You can't enjoy that movie. It's not enjoyable. But it is an experience. And uh, the first of its kind. And you can read it that way. MVTV says, my point. I was born in 1959, so I saw it nine years old. Big sci-fi fan. Just too young past the spectacle sure recall how going rogue though mm -hmm. hey april good to see you sweetheart how are you how was your weekend bubby watt says also don't get me wrong jake i like the first blade runner it's a great franchise yeah i don't think it was ever intended to be a franchise though that it wasn't made with that in mind but it is a good movie april ma'am good evening says mvtv There are probably a handful of great classic movies. There's probably a double handful. But they just get so bogged down with all of the dreck that's thrown in on top of them, they're hard to find. And a, a true movie aficionado has seen them all because they were chomping at the bit when they came out. But uh, I assure you, if you're a younger person, there's a lot you've missed. You need to go back and look real close. My judgment has always been the box. If the box ain't exciting, the movie won't be exciting. If the caption on the back doesn't titillate you, the movie won't be any good. That's just the way it is. That, that has never been not true for me. April says, Jake Love, Bubby Watts, MVTV, Lisa Reen. Bubby Watts says, but my counter argument with that, Jake, is John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh. And that movie, that movie's makeup and visuals are great, but there's also so little in the movie in terms of mystery. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because it's a remake of an older movie called The Thing from Mars or something like that. That might not be the right title. I think it is. 
uh, it's a black and white 50s movie, and they tried to stay with the general premise. Although, you know, the thing from Mars is about the monster. I mean, the thing. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is about the monster. And it is excellent, considering when it was made. I mean, it don't really hold up. It's kind of stringy looking, but for when it was made, the guy that did the effects on that movie... He uh, he really did something special. April says, I'm all right, y'all. Good to see everyone. Excellent. Hey, April, how are you today, says Bubby Watts. April says, I agree, Jake. Thank you, ma'am. MVTV says, oops, alien. The first being the classic referred to. Um, Alien, the first being the classic referred to. You mean when I said there was a handful of classics? Bubba Watts says, and Jaws is my favorite movie, and the shark is only in the movie for three minutes, I believe, and it didn't work, by the way, which is why it's only in the movie for three minutes. They did a lot of work to get that shark to work, and then on the day, they put it in the water, and it stopped working, so they just did what they could with it. It's been a long day. Go figure. Just relaxing. Really don't feel like doing much. So I'm taking my time with everything, says April. I hear you, sweetheart. Me too. I haven't been able to do anything, but that's beside the point. MBTV says, try again. Alien. The first is a top classic. The second, Aliens, is much better to watch. That's because the first is a horror movie. And the second is an action movie. And action movies are always better to watch. And that's a, a unique thing about the Alien franchise. They started that trope. Before that, if a sequel was made, it was made in the same vein as the original. Aliens took that genre and flipped it on its head. So it's no longer a horror movie, which the first one was. Very much about confined spaces and... Uh, claustrophobia, not being able to get away from the bad guy and all that. And they turned it into an action flick with big Marines and shoot 'em ups everywhere and lots of special effects and an alien. And the third one was a prison movie. Didn't Was not very well received. And so forth and so on. The only thing they didn't manage to do is make a good aliens comedy. Oh yeah, that was uh, Starship Troopers which was in itself an, an allegory for other things. And the good guys in that movie are the bad guys in reality. That's what he was trying to say. Paul Verhoeven is an excellent movie maker, by the way. I recommend everything he's ever made, starting with RoboCop. That's not the first movie he ever made. That's where I'd say start, though. I like the thing. The effects hold up if you ask me, Jake. I hear you. Well, um, I can't think of the guy's name. Is it Rich Baker? Something Baker. The guy that did the effects. The guy with the gray beard, gray long hair. The same guy that did Gremlins. Um, he's a very good monster maker, and he went all out for the thing. Jake, I'm a huge Jaws nerd. I know why the shark isn't in the movie for the for that long, LOL. I, I was speaking to everyone, not just you. I know you're a Jaws nerd. 
You've told me that before. April says, seriously? Seriously. Walter Davis, what's up, buddy? Good to see you. Good evening, everybody. MVTV says, hey, Walter. April says, Walter, love. Good to see you, hun. Walter says, hi, Jake, April, Bubby, Montana, and Lisa Reen. All right. It is 825. You guys ready to get started? Enough movie talk. Let's get down to why we came here. Let's go down, shall we? And I need a book. There it is. If you got your Bibles handy, crack them open to the book of Judges, chapter 3, verse 4. And it reads, <laughs> let me get a drink of coffee. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, all of which they were supposed to have destroyed, might I add. And they broke them, yes, but they did not utterly destroy them off of the face of the earth as they were commanded to do. And they took their daughters to be their wives. Remember when God said, don't do that? Remember when he said, you have to destroy them off the face of the earth, because if you mingle with them, you will start um, through empathy, allowing them to have their gods and their customs, and then pretty soon you'll be involved in them. Or if you take their daughters to wives or give your sons to their daughters to wife, uh, it's going to screw your life up. You remember God saying that? And he said it not too long ago. Might have said it in the last book we read. And here they are, first generation, taking the daughters of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites to wife, and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods, lowercase g. First generation. They hadn't been there for 20 years yet. They just got there, and they're already worshiping false gods. That's how screwed up these people are. That's why God stepped back and stopped messing with them. That's why there's a divide between man and God, because it only takes a generation to change everything. Now, you think the man who designed everything, God, had the right to ask the thing he designed to do it a certain way. And you'd think they would do it because they're not stupid. But here they are, being stupid. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam in the groves. One generation. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the... Mm, the Kushan Rishathaim, the Kushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. Kushan Rishathaim, Rishathaim, Kushan Rishathaim, that's it. And the children of Israel served Kushan Rishathaim eight years, 
eight years they were slaves to this king because they went right in there and started worshiping other gods. Okay. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, hear this now. They went immediately to false gods. They went immediately to uh, strangers and gave up their heritage in one generation. And in eight years, they're crying to the Lord God for Savior. They're crying. They can't take it. You understand that? In one generation, less than 20 years, they turned against God and forgot about him. And in less than eight years, they're crying for him to come save them. So the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, or Othniel, sorry, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Remember, Caleb was the servant of Joshua or the, the uh armor bearer of Joshua, the, the right-hand man of Joshua, the, the big uh, general that conquered much of these people. So this is his younger brother. So this guy's still alive, which means less than 50 years have passed. And all this has already taken place. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cush. Cushan Rephaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Cushan I can't say that word. Cushan That's it. Cushan I got it. Yes. I'll mess it up the next time. Watch. And the land had rested for forty years, and Othniel the son of Kenaz died. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. No sooner than the man died. Here he goes again. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. What evil are they doing? They're worshiping false gods. Commandment number one for a reason. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. Anybody care to guess where that is? So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. That's three times as many years as the first time. They're not going to learn then either. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. He's a Southpaw, this guy. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length. A cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your finger, whoever the king is. So, um... It's a big dagger, is what I'm saying. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his high, upon his right thigh. <clears throat> now remember, 
Uh, Ehud is left-handed, so he will attack from the left side, leaving his right side open because he's attacking left-handed. But the guy with the dagger is right-handed, and he's got his knife over here. So if this guy reaches for him, it just jug him in the in the gut one good time, and that's it. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. So it's just him and the king. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee. Wait a minute. Did I miss something? I guess not. I'll read that again just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. I guess that was all of them. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were at Gilal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. So he cleared the room. He didn't want to hear this secret. And Ehud came in unto him. And he was sitting in the summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. So I'm guessing, well, they didn't, this isn't very clear. I'm guessing that Ehud came into the king's palace while the king was tending to the quarry in Gilal probably uh, setting up work to be done or or looking over plans or something like that. And so when he gave the present to the king, the king sent everybody out of the room. But as Ehud was leaving, he said, I have a secret to tell you. He said, keep quiet. And he called him back in after everybody was gone out of the room. That's what I read here. And Ehud came in unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. He was the only guy that could be in there. It was like a Florida room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Now, the king of, of uh, Moab is a very fat man. I want you to consider this. Big guy, big feller. So Ehud pulls from his right side, takes the dagger out, and shoves it. Now, remember, this is a cubit in length. And he shoves it into the fat man's belly. And the haft also went in after the blade, the hilt. So this blade has a dagger on both sides, right? A long blade and a short blade. And it's a cubit length. So the whole dagger went into this man's belly, a cubit in, in, inside of him. And the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out, the dirt that was in his ripples, in his folds. That's disgusting, by the way. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. 
And when he was gone out, his servants came in. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, Surely he covereth his feet in the summer chamber. Hmm. Surely he's in there doing business. We better not disturb him. And they tarried until they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Well, just because he had a dagger in his belly. Therefore they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth with an entire dagger in his fat. Can you imagine how big that feller was? He had a meter, or, or I mean not a meter, a cubit of fat around him. That's horrible. Fat shame. Somebody fat shame that king. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped to Sirith. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with, with him from the mountain and he before them. So he's walking in front of them. <laughs> Gotta lose some weight, fatty. Yep, that's right. He's a big boy. Big boy. I'm surprised he could get up and walk to his little summer room. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fjords of Jordan towards Moab. That word is not ford, it's fjord. It's a um, Scandinavian word. And suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at the time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor. And there escaped not a man. So they were horn dogs, I guess. They were all lusty, or maybe they were good looking, who knows. Either way, they killed them all. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for fourscore years. That's 80 years. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. Anybody know what a goad is? And he also delivered Israel. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So it seems like when they get delivered, they wait till the guy that delivered them dies, and then they go right back to their old ways again. Look down. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt at Harasheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and twenty years he mightily oppressed the children. Remember, first it was eight years, then it was eighteen, and now it's twenty. And Deborah the prophetess, for all you men out there who like to claim that the Bible is patriarchal or women. First prophetess mentioned in the Bible in the Old Testament. That means a female that prophets for God. The wife of Lapidoth, 
she judged Israel at the time. So not only was she a prophetess, but she was a judge. Deborah. That's a woman of power, by the way. Because in those days, judges were more like miniature kings. They had power over the community. Just think about that, feminists. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. The word Bethel means house of God in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for a judgment. So they came to her. So she's occupying a seat above the children of Israel. Imagine that. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinom, out of Kadesh Naphtali. That's the tribe of Naphtali settling in Kadesh, if you want to know why, why they called it that. Not Kadesh Barna or Kadesh Arba, but Kadesh Naphtali. And said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw towards Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee to the river, Kishon, Sisera, or Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. This is a woman saying this to an army. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Talking to uh, Deborah. And she said, this woman, this biblical woman, she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest, shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, keep in mind, she's a prophetess, so she would know what's going to happen in the near future. So, not only will she go with him, but she tells him, I'll go with you, but you're not going to get any glory and, and uh, fame from this battle because the place you're going to fight is going to get sold in the hands of a woman, pointing at herself. <clears throat> and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now, Heber the Kenite which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had served himself, uh, sorry, severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent under the plain of Zanaim, which is by Kedesh. Now this Kenite is a descendant of Cain. That's what Kenite means, descendant of Cain. So was Hobab, who was the father-in-law of Moses, which meant Moses' wife was a descendant of Cain. Not that that means anything, but it's interesting to know that and to make note of it. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinom, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from 
Harasheth of the Gentiles unto the river Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, get up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? Do you not believe that God is already on the battlefield waiting for you? So get up and go. Go join him. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak. He didn't even get there yet, and they, they're already getting beat. So that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. Mm. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Harasheth of the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. He killed them all. Howbeit, <coughs> Sisera fled away on his feet unto the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was a peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Well, Heber the Kenite has got another thing coming. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle, meaning she covered him up, hid him from the fight that's happening outside. So if anybody came in, they didn't see him. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him to drink and covered him, again, covering him, hiding him. This woman, you need to pay attention to her because she's a crafty, crafty girl. Again, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee and say, Is there any man in here? That thou shalt say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent, a nail meaning the thing, the stob that holds it into the ground. She pulled one out and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temple and fastened it to the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, and he died. Wow. So try and picture this. He runs into this tent of another man's wife and tells her, hey, hide me because I'm in the middle of a battle and I'm trying to get away. Well, she's no dummy. She knows the writing on the wall is Israel will be in charge of this land pretty soon. And her husband is a Kenite. So she ain't real happy with him in the first place because Kenites can't grow anything. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. They can build, but they can't grow. Anyway. So the man hides in her tent, and she hides him and covers him up, and then he starts asking her for favors. Hey, give me some milk. Hey, stand in the doorway and make sure nobody comes in while I drink your milk and go to sleep. So in his exhaustion, he passes out there under this mantle that she's placed upon him. And while he's snoring, she looks back and realizes, I've got the battle in my hand right now. So she grabs a nail and drives it through his freaking head and nails him to the ground. He's dead. So there's that battle. 
And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show ye the, the man whom thou seekest. Come with me, and I'll give him to you. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead. The nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Sisera was a bad guy, but he wasn't the king. Now, why did she do that? <laughs> I'll tell you why. God was using her, as he does often in the Bible, by the way using women because they are cunning and they occupy places that men can't get to, such as the tent of a woman during the middle of a battle. It's pretty smart. <laughs> then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinom, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear ye, O kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. This is the woman that just nailed a man to the ground, praising God for his victory. That's a true follower of God. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, that's a... Uh, Esau's territory, Edom. The earth trembled and the heavens dropped, and the clouds also dropped water. It rained. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, or Shamgar the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose. That I arose a mother in Israel. This is very much a female's tale. This is very much a powerful woman working for God. And she became quite the leader of Israel. She, she was a judge and a prophetess and, in some cases, a warrior. This is a woman appointed by God, one of the many. Why am I belaboring the point? Because it's necessary, because people are screwed up in the head. They got things backwards. They don't understand. Cold-hearted woman. I like her. She wasn't cold-hearted. She just knew what had to be done and got it done. She was a can-do person. The inhabitants of the villages ceased, ceased. I read that one. They chose new gods, lowercase g. Then was war in the gates. That's a sentence. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. Well, why was war in the gates? Because they're choosing new gods. They're not following the god that just saved them again. This is the same generation, by the way. Was there a shield or a spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord.
speak, ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. They that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous act of the Lord. Acts of the Lord. Even the righteous acts towards the inhabitants of his village in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song, arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinom. Then he made him that remaineth have dominion over the nobles among the people. The Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Machir came down governors, and out of Zebulun they that handled the pen of the writer. That would be a scribe. And the governors would be the Pharisees or the Bible lawyers that we'll eventually run into later on down the road, Adam Makir, all descendants of the Kenites who were mentioned earlier. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley for the divisions of Reuben. There were great thoughts of heart, they were, they were in spirit. They had good wishes, but they didn't do a whole lot because they were divided. Why abodest thou amongst the sheepfolds? To hear the bleeding of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead abode beyond Jordan. And why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Zebulon and Naphtali were a people that jeopard, that jeoparded their li that jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. So the Naphtali and Zebulon were the warriors. Everybody else was kind of doing their own thing. Remember, there are twelve tribes. Only two of them are fighting right now. The kings came and fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanik. By the waters of Megiddo, they took no gain of money. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon. O oh, my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horse hooves broken by the means of the prancings, the prancings of their mighty ones. They were so heavy with armor that their horse hooves broke as they pranced on the battlefield. Curse ye, Morose, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they come not to help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. That's the nomads that roam that area. He asked water, and she gave him milk. 
She brought forth butter in a lordy dish. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera, she smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. And her feet, at her feet he bowed. He fell, he laid down. At her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell dead. Keep in mind, this is still a song, by the way, which is why it's written so weirdly. This is Deborah singing this song, Deborah and Barak. The mother of Sisera looked out a window, at a window and cried through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariot? That's his mom. She's, they're guessing that his mom is pining for him to return home, which he can't do because he's dead. Her wise ladies answered her, Yea, she returned, answered to herself. Meaning she, she understands why he hasn't come home. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey to every man, a damsel or two? To Sisera, a prey of divers colors, a prey of divers colors of needlework, of divers colors of needlework on both sides? Help or meat for the necks of them that take the spoil. So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might, or noonday sun, shining bright. And the land had rest forty years. So just that battle, just killing Sisera, caused forty years of peace to happen. That's why Jael is blessed among the women in the tent because she really won that battle for all these people. Ten, what was it, 10,000 men fighting this battle on one side? And she, by her little lonesome and her dainty little fingers, won that fight. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Midian seven years. Midian is where Moses went to get his wife when he left Egypt. All right, so we're in that same area right now. Uh, uh, Moses' uh, father-in-law is from Midian. He was the ruler of Midian. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel and became, uh, and sorry, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Now, what are they talking about? You ever see... Um, like a history channel or discovery channel and they find these cliffs with these holes digged in them and they look like they look like houses dug into the side of a cliff or they find these underground cities that go down five or six or seven levels and they have no idea who made them or when the bible just told you in the land of the Midianites, which is that desert area where they find all these things, they not only had dens, which were made in the mountains, but they had caves and strongholds. A stronghold is a big box that you can't penetrate. And it's, that word has been used to describe uh, uh, forts and fortifications and locations that can't be penetrated. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east 
even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou came unto Gaza. Gaza, not Giza, Gaza. And left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. I mean, they took up everything. There was no food to be had. There was no way to survive. There were too many people and not enough resources. For they came up with their cattle in their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for the multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. This is one of the uh, earliest examples of um, migration gone bad. They came with the intention of destroying the land. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the lowercase g gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And that's what we're here for, ladies and gentlemen. That is the sentence that describes it all. Why is all of this happening? Because you have not obeyed my voice, says God. <clears throat> and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, which is where you get all your free cars from, that pertained unto Joash, the Abizrite from Abizom, I presume, the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So he's trying to prepare. He's a prepper, Gideon is, trying to prepare so that the Midianites don't eat it all up. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor, because he's preparing Understand, he's doing work to prepare for the hard times. He's trying to put something away for a rainy day. That's why the Lord is with him. That's why the Lord refers to him as a mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of? Does that sound familiar? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us. Really? You can't figure out why? And delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. No, you delivered you into the hand of the Midianites. God didn't have anything to do with that. That was all you, worshiping false gods. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. 
and I am the least in my father's house. Now, God has an affinity for scrawny runts of the litter because oftentimes he picks the least of the men to do the job or the women. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. So the angel is telling him to wait. I'm going to bring you something that will help you, but don't leave until I get back. And he agrees. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes and an ephah of flour. An ephah is a container, not a breastplate. That's an ephod. And the flesh he put in a basket. And he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. That was God's presence with the angel of the Lord before this man, Gideon. Imagine his surprise when he looked and saw that happen. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Yeah, if I saw an angel, I'd believe too. I believe anyway, but you get my point. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. That's a nice promise to have from an angel. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Yehovah Shalom, which means God's peace. Unto this day, it is yet in Ophrah of the Abizrites. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. Gideon's dad worships Baal in the same tent where the angel was. So he's saying, Knock down that altar and grab his kids and let's go. <laughs> and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock and in the ordered place, which is the highest place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. And then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day. So he did it by night. But he did it nonetheless. Now, keep in mind, Gideon has to live here, so he don't want to get caught doing this. This is his father's God and his father's grove to that God, and he's going to tear it down, build an altar to our father, and then sacrifice his animals on it. He don't want to get caught doing it. 
And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. They didn't bother holding back at all. They spilled the beans immediately. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death, whilst it is yet morning. I'll kill you where you stand. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Smart move. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down this altar, or his altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abizur was gathered after him. That's all of the Abizurites. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him, or them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside it, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. Now keep in mind, Gideon is a tiny runt, the smallest of his brothers. He doesn't believe he can save Israel. He knows that the angel told him he could save Israel. He knows that the angel told him to go. He don't think he can do it. So he's asking for affirmation here. This is Gideon, a man whom God has already shown himself to by taking his sacrifice in person, asking God to give him a sign. I'm going to lay this blanket down, and in the morning when it dews, I want the whole ground to be dry except for that blanket. And if that happens, I'll know you mean business. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Hmm. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, God, please, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. He asks him twice. That first sign wasn't enough. I mean, let's reverse it. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, remember, Jerubbabel is Gideon. Jerubbabel means 
he he fought against Baal. And all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, or Jerubbabel, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. God is telling Gideon a wise thing here. He goes, you got a big army here. If they go and fight and win, they're going to say they won. Knock it down to about two or three people, and then when you win, you can say God won. Because that's what we're doing here. We're affirming God now. I affirmed you earlier. It's my turn. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from the Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 22,000, and there remained 10,000. Still a big army. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them before thee. Or I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. Pretty simple. I'll tell you who to bring. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down, upon their knees to drink, like civilized people. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you. See there? The dog lappers is the ones he chose, not the civilized men. And deliver the Midianites into thine hand with three hundred guys. And let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hands, or food and water, and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and remained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Meaning, you better hurry, they're coming. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. And afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pura, because naturally he was terrified, probably of the dark. He's a scrawny fellow we're talking about here. His servant out unto the outside of the armed men, that were in the host, and the Midianites, and the Amalekites, and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number, and 
as the sand by the sea for multitude. There were thousands of camels and thousands of men just laying out, strung all over the place. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand God hath delivered Midian and all the host. Now this is his men believing in him, this scrawny, afraid of the dark feller who is the least of his kin. These men, these warriors, they know they've got a good leader on their hands because they know God appointed him. And they're not dumb. They've seen this game before. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream that the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian, these 300 dudes. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, a hundred, a hundred, and a hundred. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I came to the outside of the camp, or when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that. As I do, so shall ye do. In other words, monkey see, monkey do. I'll lead this army, but you do exactly what I do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. That's about midnight. Or maybe it's first first light. Could be that. I think first watch starts at dark. Second watch. Third watch. So middle watch would be morning-ish. And they had but newly set the watch. In other words, it just started. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were with that were in their hands. I'm assuming that they're using the empty picture to amplify the trumpet. I'm not really sure. Maybe they're just using it as broken glass sound. I don't know. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This reads like a Mel Brooks production. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. In other words, they startled them, and they all ran away. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethshittah and Zerorath, and to the border of Abel and Mahola, and Tabith, unto Tabith, 
And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent the messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. And that's where we're going to stop for today, ladies and gentlemen. We'll pick up tomorrow night, 8-1. Be there. Don't miss it. Man, what a fantastic read that was tonight. It was exciting. I hope it touched your heart and causes you to reach out and dig deeper into the Word of God and delve into what he says and see what he means by that. Until then, though, won't you do me a favor and hit that subscribe button and press the bell icon so you get notifications of when I'm going to be online. Smash that like button. It's free. It's effortless and it's right in front of you and it really does help the channel with the algorithms and it helps us get recommended to other people. So won't you do that, please? Share this video with somebody you love. Better yet, share it with somebody you don't love. Bring them into the family. Make them part of the fold. Be part of their solutions, not part of their problems. Leave comments down below and let me know what you're thinking about. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform me, drink my Kool-Aid. Make your own Kool-Aid as long as you're thinking critical that's what I want critical thought coming from that brain of yours and hey if you love the word of God and you can see the value in what I'm trying to build here or if you feel led to send your tithes offerings or love offerings or if you promise to do so a couple of times or if you just like to pat me on the back and say hey nice job Jake I get what you're doing I want to help out you can do that you can support my work by going to paypal.me slash Jake Johnson band or if you're a Cash App user, you can go to dollar sign Jake Johnson Band. Every little bit helps. It's a blessing to me. It's a win-win. God notices these things. We do live in a reciprocal universe. And now, after being a man of honor and doing everything in my power to be worthy of that support, I will answer all of your questions and comments. Bring it on. How's it going, folks? Did you enjoy the read? Did you learn anything? Do you feel touched? Do you feel confused? Are you scared of angels? You tell me what's going on in your heart. Let me see what I missed in the chat. Ah. Walter Davis says, took the kids to the rifle range, but it looked closed down. Darn. April says, I'm ready. I hope you are. Yes and wow. MBTV says, hopefully you let them fire over the fence anyway. I would have. April says, did he look like this? Yeah. Joking. Continue. Yes. So sad, says April. Walter says, look where, look where we have gone in the past 20 years. We repeat the Jews' mistakes. Yes, look how far we've gone down in the last 20 years. You're absolutely right there, Walter Davis. April says, we got it. Jericho, says Bubby Watts. Get loose some weight, fatty. You got to lose some weight, fatty. April says, no. Yes. 
Bubba Watts says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but there's always words to trigger a feminist. Amen, brother. That's right. Walter says, 10,000 plus herdsmen and livestock and servants. That's a huge crew to move. Yeah, it is. That's why he whittled it down to 300. That and because he knew that 10,000 people would take credit for winning when you only need a couple folks to get the job done because God's on your side. Wow, says Bubby Watts. April says, OMG. Walter says, cold-hearted women, I like her. Cold-hearted woman, I like her. Well, she wasn't cold-hearted. She was a very warm-hearted woman, but she knew what had to be done. Talking about uh, jail. April says, yep. Kevin says, hey, what's up, Kevin? Good to see you, buddy. Hey, MVTV, MYTV, and Walter. Don't say hey to me. That's fine. Kevin says, good to see you, love. Oh, April says, Kevin, good to see you, love. Bubby Watts says, what's up, Kevin? ATL says, good ease. Good evening, ATL. Welcome to the show. April says, hello, ATL. Good to see you. ATL says, hello, Miss April Rain. You get all the respect in the channel. You know that? Nobody says Mr. Jake. That's good. ATL says, Jerubable. Gideon. How are you, ATL, says April. ATL says, good, thank you. Bubby Watt says, very exciting book. Yes, it's very exciting. Walter says, hi, Kevin and all, and ATL. Walter says, good stuff, Jake. Thank you, sir. Lisa Reen says, thanks, Jake. I don't dig the war stuff, but man, oh, man, those folks just never learn. Won't listen, and so on it goes. It seems like every other generation does this thing. They'll fall. And then the next generation will beg for forgiveness. And then they'll do right until the guy dies. And then the next generation will fall. And it's over and over and over. They never learn. It's amazing, actually. Thank you for that, Bubby Watts. I told you I would watch it. Jake, this reflects the feminist part. Oh, is that a different one? I'll add that to the list then. Mm. All right, that's the bottom of the chat. Everybody having a good time so far? Everybody enjoying it? Got any questions, comments, criticisms, catharsis, catalogs, carpetbaggers? Ever know about a feller? <clears throat> it's only 30 seconds. You can watch it afterwards, okay? Good reading, Jake. Thank you, Mr. Davis. I appreciate you, sir. April, Kev, where'd you go? You ain't said nothing in a while. Say hello. Lordy, Lordy. <coughs> Pardon me, for I was rude, but that wasn't bad manners. That was good food. I hope you guys enjoyed the read tonight. I enjoyed it. Thoroughly interesting. Hey. Sorry about that. I accidentally clicked the link, apparently. Don't do that. I'll watch it afterwards. Snug up on me. Where'd everybody go? 
I stop reading and people bail on me. Fireworks are over again tonight. Fireworks all over again tonight. Guess I will go out with a bang. Night and night, folks. God bless. Are you leaving this Lizarine? Well, I'm glad you came. Thank you for being here. Enjoy the fireworks. Bang, bang, bang. Bubby Watt says, but anyways, Jake, I got to cut it short. So I'll see you tomorrow in the next Bible study. See you, Bubby Watts. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Walter says, Lisa Reen, yeah, I'm not into the killing of people, but sometimes it's the only way to go. That's true. And uh, everybody that God tells you to kill, it's okay to kill them. But it ain't okay to kill people if God don't tell you to. God bless you too, Bubby Watts. Thank you for being here, buddy. Good night, Lizarine and Bubby, says Walter. And good night. I've still got two more days before I can get back to business. Because apparently uh, Tuesday is the 4th of July. I didn't know that. But now I know it. That's why the fireworks are going off. People can't wait till Tuesday. Either that or they get to go to work on Monday. I don't know. My boss is taking off for the three days. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I can use the rest, I guess. Although I got plenty of things to do around here. Anyway, anybody have any questions about what we read tonight? Did you grasp it all? Kevin says, I loved her, but I had to kill her. Guns and Roses. I used to love her. Oh, yeah, but I had to kill her. That's a good song. Walter says, yeah, I'm off till Wednesday doing some side jobs. I'm glad you got some side jobs to do, buddy. Kev, what did you guys do this weekend? Anything exciting? Walter says, Kev, I love and relate to that song. Me too. Somewhat. MVTV says, sometimes killing a rat is the only good solution. Amen, brother. And sometimes that's what you got to do. Especially if they just won't listen. Kevin says, I'm off until Wednesday. We had CJ two days. Cool. Walter says, but I didn't kill her. So you say. You have a recent picture with a newspaper? Anyway, I ain't crazy about it. Now I have the flu. Oh, no. That's not good, Kev. Better drink some liquid and take care of yourself, buddy. MVTV says, of course, I prefer... Locking them in a remote mining shack, hooking up an open IV line, and bleeding them over a few days, or so I've heard. <laughs> That's horrible. I'd just assume kill them if I had to. I can call her right now. We talk every week. Still good friends. I'm just teasing you, man. I don't think you actually killed her.
Kevin says, I worked outside and sweated it up a lot. Hopefully that will help. Where'd April go, Kev? She hasn't said anything in a while. Yeah, sweating's good for you. It'll get all the poisons out of you. But if you're sick, you're sick. That's in your lungs and in your sinus cavity. That ain't in your sweat glands. I've heard the same things as Walter from people about bleeding them in a mining shack remotely. That's terrifying. Nope, not me. If God ever calls me to the battle, I'm going to try to get it done as quickly as possible and with as few people as possible. Kevin said, April is in the kitchen listening to you and eating. I had some KFC. Mm, that sounds good. I had popcorn. In the coal region of Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, I imagine if you're going to hook somebody up in a coal mine, that's the place to be. That is what they do there. I've heard stories of people that get the black lung and all that. I'm glad I didn't live in that part of the world because I'd be one of those people. Plenty of two-legged rats. Happily, I haven't run into too many the last year. That's right. Well, unfortunately, I have, and they're everywhere, but I've ran into some good folks, too. Real good folks doing real nice things. And it's a blessing to see because the world is severely lacking in the good folks department. That's why it's good to have all of you here because I know every one of you are good folks. Try to do the right thing. And that's a blessing and I'm glad to be part of that. And if anything I've done has brought you all together, that's a blessing too. I'll take it. This is high-grade coal deposit. Powder River formation, like a trillion tons, but the most still in the ground. Mm. Kevin says, we got us a sports update. All the STR game is coming this week. Two devil egg rays. Made the first team. Actually, I could care about as much for the All-Star game as watching the WNBA. That's uh, not very high marks there you give in this sport. I keep pressing the wrong buttons. This is where the Molly Maguires started. And the last were rung in the next town over. It's where the term redneck comes from. Is it really? I always thought the term redneck came from farmers bending down to tend their crops all day and getting sunburnt on the back of their necks. MVTV says, ah, the cats are responding again to the Kevin Cox sports update. Have to throw a few black cats at the same time. But anyways, hey, I'm glad the cats like it. I worked hard on it. I put in music especially tuned to cat ears. If anyone here has ever watched a full WNBA game, 
than you were bored, says Kevin. Walter says, Centralia is about 10 miles from here. I figure there's 250 years of all energy to power America there. That would not surprise me. I know we got enough oil. It just seems to work that way. Sorry, just checking my phone. I thought it danged for me, but it danged for somebody else. Centralia is the one still shimmering, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that's at. Never been that far up that part anyway. I've been as far up as Minot, North Dakota, but that's right up the middle. Never been up on the East Coast or the West Coast, for that matter. I've never been to the West Coast. I've been as far out as Kansas, and I've been as far up as Minot, and as far down as Key West. That's it. That's all the traveling I've done. But I did a lot of it back and forth. Well, all right, boys and girls, we've reached a half-hour mark, and it's time to go to bed. i got to get up early in the morning and do nothing. I'll find something to do. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all the chat, comments, and keeping it interesting, and your anecdotes and your thoughts on coal mining. I appreciate each and every one of you. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for being here. And I hope that you enjoyed the read, and I can't wait to see you tomorrow night. Until then, God bless you. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, and thank you for watching.